I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and a very warm welcome. This is the Motormouth podcast with myself, Harry Benjamin, and Tim Sylvie, where in each show we sit down with a figure from the world of motorsport and dive into how exactly they ended up where they are now. F1 champions, team principals, Formula E and touring car stars. If there's anyone with a story to tell, they'll usually tell it right here. Motormouth is an app and website where you can catch up with all the latest F1 gossip at motormouth.club and view live timings across a race weekend with our app. We're also proud to be partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, helping to raise awareness and help find a cure through events like our annual karting race, where you can go head-to-head against professional drivers, all to raise vital funds. For more info, check out motormouthkartrace.com. This podcast is brought to you by F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. And let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula One, we're all over it. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first class hotels and unprecedented access you simply cannot get anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 Experiences package by using the code MM11F1E when checking out online. So what are you waiting for? Experience the 2022 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 Experiences. Get booking today at F1Experiences.com. Hi, I'm Tim Sylvie and today we're joined by a man that was born in London but grew up in Nottingham. And so, Harry Benjamin, it's been a while since I've tested your geographical knowledge of the UK, so... Are you ready? No. Nottingham is a city in the UK. We know that. But which region does it reside in? Is it A, West Midlands, B, East Midlands, C, Lancashire, or D, Yorkshire? Oh. Now, I think, so when I used to be on the radio, there was a station called Gem 103 or 106, which I think was in Nottingham. Which I think it was in Nottingham. Mm-hmm. I think yes, it was Harry. I'm going to give you that. That's, that's yeah. correct. And all yeah. the people from Nottingham are now shouting at this podcast, going, "Come on, lads!" Yeah. So I think it's the oh, it's it was one of the Midlands for um, sure. Well, yes, uh, you get five points for that. Oh, uh, time is ticking. East is calling my name. Yes, yes. Oh, thank God. You are now that. welcome in the city of Nottingham. Oh. You know what? Caps. I did when I was looking at universities. I went to Nottingham, and it was lovely. I nearly went there. I didn't in the end, but you know, it was nice, nice enough. Uh, Paul, Paul's already introduced himself, and we haven't even got there yet. Paul, <laughs> Shh. hello. Shush. Sip it. I've just come into early story of my life. <laughs> Well, what? Now you're here. But okay, Paul, um, you can tell us then what are the other cities in East Midlands? Uh, well, Nottingham is the main one, really. Correct. Obviously, if you go to Birmingham, that's West Midlands. Yeah, that's, yes, that's the West. As we all know, like in the rap game, East is best, basically. 
Well, the East coast of the Midlands. That's the other thing. In the Midlands, we don't have any coast, which is hilarious, because if anyone used to ever watch Bullseye, the amazing dart-based... Oh, yeah, amazing. Um, everyone always used to win a speedboat, <laughs> and most of the people came from the Midlands because it was filmed in Nottingham, so quite random, because we're quite far from any decent water here. You are. Well, the other cities are Derby and Leicester, but you're right, Nottingham, Nottingham is the biggest. But we don't think about those. Nah. They don't really count. Nah. Other places <laughs> to visit on the way to Nottingham. Shall I, I better introduce you, Paul, because no one knows who, which Paul we've got yet. Unless they can guess. It's not Paul DeResta. It could be. If it's a better one, if you think it might get more listeners, I'm quite prepared to play the character of a, a better-known Paul. Well, well, Harry, uh, Harry, uh, Harry loves Paul DeResta, so we could, we could roll with that. How's your Scottish accent? Yeah, I can do it. It's Scottish accent. It's not Paul. Ooh, that's all right. There yeah. We We've got Paul DeResta at last, after all these years. <laughs> for, for our part two. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, Paul... I think he'd want a bigger fee, though, than me. I just yeah. asked was it, you know, bag of jelly babies and a pack of cheesy what's-its? <laughs> I don't have cheesy what's-its. got normal ones. Paul, shall we introduce Paul? I think so. <laughs> Today we're joined... Actually, you know what? Before you do that, I just want to say I'm quite proud that I actually got that question right. Well, well done. Via, via my radio knowledge. That's the I first... That quite a nice... I think that's the first one you've ever got right. Probably, yeah. You know, that's 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 well, doesn't it? If the F1 gig doesn't work out for you, Harry, there's always, like, geography shows and... Exactly. And kind of, like... John Craven's country far where you go around oh, love that. the country, yeah. knowing exactly where you actually are. Yeah. Exactly. Well, to be honest, I'll probably just tap up Jem and see if they've got any jobs going. Uh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> right, that's enough of Nottingham. <laughs> oh, we like Nottingham. Today we're joined by Paul Cowland. Paul has a lifelong affinity with all things automotive and an encyclopedic knowledge of anything with an engine. He's a writer, restorer, and thought leader on the subject. I thought you'd like that one, Paul. Thought leader. He's thought worked. Leader. Thought leader. That, that sounds a bit big business for me. He's a. He's I don't a. Think, I don't he think any of my thoughts have been leading ever. He knows a little bit on the subject. Uh, he's worked for the likes of Motors TV, the Discovery Channel, featured on shows like Salvage Hunters, which we'll go on to talk about, and Turbo Pickers, plus various work for a host of automotive car makers. What Paul doesn't know about cars is frankly not worth knowing and he has a collection of cars which i've heard is over 20 himself quite incredible it, it is it is slightly over 20 yes 20 was a long time ago how, how many over 20 40 over 20 <gasps> now jeez you've got 40 cars no we've got 60 cars you've got 60 cars what? Tim's not doing the math show, Harry. 40 plus no, 20. Yeah, no, he's yeah. not very good at that. Yeah. You're, you're getting the uh, country file. He's not getting a uh, countdown. I'm not getting a countdown. I prefer a country file. What, where, where do you keep them all? Is that a stupid question? No, it's a very sensible question. It's a question I'm often asked, and I'm very lucky that I managed to buy a large unit about five years ago, and I can keep about 50 of them there, and the other 10 are, so there's about five at home, and then the other five, it's sort of like a rotation of restoration where... Yeah. I've got cars at the body shop, I've got cars being welded, I've got cars at MOT, I've got cars being serviced. So it is like managing a fleet. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm like an old lady with cats. You know, there's always in every street, there's an old lady, isn't there? <laughs> a crazy cat lady. Later. Crazy cat lady. I am the automotive equivalent of a crazy cat lady. I'm like crazy a crazy car man. People crazy call car. you. People say, oh, mate, I've just found this thing or, oh, you know, this, this car's here that needs saving or you should have this. And traders call me and friends in the trade call me and... Oh, that's, especially that's how especially they when you way. say it like that, as well, it needs saving. It is like you're adopting a cat or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doing your bit well, just for some, the community. Sometimes a lot of the cars I have aren't particularly valuable. They're just weird and wonderful or, or extremely rare. So I've got things like a Subaru GLF, which if you remember the film, The Cannonball Run. I'm going to have to Google it. Jackie Chan drives a little black Subaru, a little Subaru oh. hatchback. Oh. If you want to imagine this, listeners, it's like the front of a Subaru Brat, which everyone can remember from their Tamiya days, with the back of a hatchback. Oh, that's yeah. quite a rare, unusual Subaru. 
And there's one of those left. So I literally I wow. managed to buy that. And I just, you know, for £4,000, there's to buy the last one of anything in a roadworthy condition for £4,000 is kind of almost rude not to because, you know, you turn up at a car show, you'll never see another one. Yeah. Well, okay. So clearly, I mean, normally we, we ask quite early on, you know, what got you into motorsport and stuff like that, but, or where did racing come from? But naturally it's cars in general for you as well. So, but where did this love and, and fascination stem from? I think from birth, it's really weird. I, I grew up in a very car household. So my dad was obsessed with cars and he used to have copies of Street Machine and Custom Car lying around. So literally as a, a baby, I was obsessed. And he was always on a Sunday morning out, you know, fitting fog lights, putting exhaustions on all the things people did in the 1970s. And I would just spend Sunday morning just sitting out on the drive, watching him, sitting in the car, pretending to drive. And it's always been there. And my fascination as a kid was toy cars from the age of two. I was a really weird child. I've realised that now because I still have the toy cars I had from when I was three and they're all immaculate. Yeah. I used to play with them. You know, when you see kids with toy cars, they're all chipped, aren't they, and scratched. All my toy cars were absolutely immaculate. And this is how nerdy I was. And this, this remains to this day. When I used to take my collection of toy cars to another place to play like my grands or whatever, I put them in socks so they didn't get chipped. <laughs> That's weird though, isn't it? That you've, so you're basically a combination of your dad's... Um, and your dad... And your family like cars, and and as you say, your nerdiness around them has come combined to create this crazy affinity with everything with four wheels. Is, is it always four wheels, or have you got some two wheel machinery as well, or even three? You no, know, I like I like motorbikes, but I know nothing about them. So I've got a few friends, and Partridge, who's on Discovery Channel with me. He's a bike restorer, a bike customizer. I went to see him last week. Actually, around his house of the week, and he's got the most amazing stuff in his garage, and he builds the most beautiful bike. I can admire them. And, you know, I would love to ride one and learn to ride one. But I just know nothing about them. I yeah. think there's, there's only so much space in your head to learn one thing properly. And I'm not saying I know cars inside out because you learn every single day, but I just don't know if I've got the bandwidth yeah. to learn about mm. bikes as well, yeah. as much as I'd like to. Yeah. yeah. Out, of, out of them, the, the 60 plus cars that you have, 60 cars. do you have a favourite? <sighs> Well, it changes every day, doesn't it, really? It's like... It's like my you know, children. That changes with my kids every day. Same sort of process. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's a bit like that. And also, you know, it depends on the way you're going. If you're going to a certain kind of show or if you're visiting a certain type of climb, it's a bit like, you know, putting the right pair of trainers on for whatever is the activity that you're doing. I, I kind of almost use a car in the same way. I sort of dress the appropriate car for the appropriate occasions. Mm. If you're going to, say, caffeine or machine or... You know, obviously, if you're going to a Volkswagen show, you take a Volkswagen. If you're going to a Ford show, you take a Ford. That kind of stuff. You, you try and take something that you know the person you're going to see will appreciate. Yeah. yeah, And it's a great icebreaker, isn't it? Having that car. And none of my cars, there's, there's a few cars that are a little bit look at me, but most of them aren't that flashy. So they're just great conversation starters. And yeah. it's a nice way to kind of get a conversation going. Is there one though that you're particularly drawn to? Is there one that you're always like, oh yeah, I want to take that one out. It changes, Tim. It changes. So I've got some weird stuff. Like I had a, a fixation with Knight Rider when I was a little kid. Yeah. So Knight Rider came out in 1982. I was nine years old. And I promised myself as a nine-year-old, I would build Knight Rider, a replica one day. And I did that kind of 15 years ago. No, 20 years ago. Crikey, I built a Knight Rider replica, which I still have. That never gets old. And then I've got all sorts of weird stuff. And it changes every day. You know, sometimes I'll get an obsession. And this is why I think I became a car collector because... Anyone who has a succession of cars will know you have a car, you get bored of it, you sell it, you buy another car, you're yeah. obsessed with that car for a bit, yeah. you do things to it, you get bored of it, you sell it, and on it goes and on it goes. And I have that same process where I get really excited about a car, I want to read about it, watch every YouTube video, yeah. buy every magazine article, and then I get bored of it. But then I'll, I'll look at another car in the collection, go, right, now I'm obsessed with that car yeah. for five minutes. 
and it just circles yeah. and cycles round. I get that. And it's a I very strange. Thing. I think I think only collectors will understand that mentality, and it's really mm. weird. But it's just like normal people have, but you never sell. You just keep yeah. adding. Yeah, and I suppose that there comes a point with that one that you're bored with when it comes back around. You're excited again. I mean, it's it's funny because oh, yeah. I, I had a um, I, I'm I've not had amazing cars over the years, but I've had one or two that I was really fond of, and one of them was um, Honda S2000, which I had for only about eighteen months. I loved it. What a car! Brilliant car. What a car! And I I sold it maybe ten years ago, and um, I still think about it. And when I see one, I'm like, oh, like, I miss that car. But they're worth something now. Like the, I sold mine for six grand. It was a 2004 oh. facelift model. They upgraded them in 2004. Sold it for six grand, and um, and they're going for more, definitely going for more than that now. They're a bit of a modern classic, and you never see them. No, um, I mean a nice one is well into five figures now. So yeah, unfortunately that's yeah. how it is. But one of the things, one of the triggering moments that made me a car collector, I used to have a Subaru Twenty Two B, which was the special edition car they made in ninety eight to sort of commemorate the World Rally car. It's not hum- a homologation car, but because that's, people get very upset when you say that. <laughs> but they they made four hundred wide body versions. Pete Stevens designed it thing i bought mine in about 2002 i think i paid 22 grand for it i sold it the year later for 27 thinking i was this great car dealer they're now worth about a quarter of a million quid wow wow obviously not that clever Ooh. so but so i'm intrigued though because obviously you, you have this passion for cars and you know this it's, it's your job really it's what you do day in day out but how do you first get there like are you are you working in that automotive industry, something else to then try and move into actually buying the cars and getting them? Like, how, do, how does that first start? It's a great question. So I've been in the automotive industry since school, basically. So I started selling them. And I started at a Saab dealership, which then became a Subaru dealership as well. I then ran our family specialist, which was a Saab and Subaru specialist. So I've always bought and sold cars. That's kind of my basic DNA. And that's always right. there. Then in 2004, I started an automotive PR because I was building a lot of show cars and a lot of the brands that I wanted to work with, people like Toyo, Nybag. I used to get a lot of cars in magazines. They said, like, if you're building another show car to go in a magazine, we will give you tyres or we will give you suspension because they knew they'd get the coverage, the car would be seen at shows. And that morphed into the fact that brands would then ring me and say, look, we're launching a new tyre or we're launching a new suspension. Please, can you help us promote it? And I thought, well, you know what? Probably the best thing I could do is become an automotive PR because I'm now working with a lot of brands that people have heard of, people like Bill Stein, people like Autoglim, people like Pioneer, brands like that. Obviously, you do tend to find yourself in that world. You tend to find yourself doing show car builds, building project cars. I'm doing a really fun project with Toyota at the moment. The Toyota have a really cool van called the Pro Ace. Of course, if everyone buys a van, people buy a T6, don't they? Because T6, you can buy coilovers, body kit, wheel spaces, wheels, big brakes. All of that stuff exists for the Volkswagen. It didn't exist for the Toyota. So Toyota said, look, borrow a van for a year and a bit. Go and see all your friends in the industry. Create an aftermarket program for this van. So create a body kit, create big wheels, create spaces, create coilovers, because none of it exists. Now we're working through a year or so later. It all exists. So if you want to buy that van now, you can tune it. You can have fun with it. That's so cool. So it's just, you I, just sort of fall into these things. And it's all yeah. about, I think, you know, same with you guys. It's all about the people that you know. And it's yeah. sort of the relationships that you build in the industry over the years. Yeah. And they sort of, you find, I never set out to do anything to that. I fell into TV, I fell into PR. None of the things I ever ended up doing professionally were things I set out to do. But I think because of the enthusiasm and the passion for the subject, I think you kind of get inextricably drawn towards it. It's the same as you two, really. I don't imagine you two set out to do what you did. But no, I mean, the, 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 the enthusiasm. The, for sure. I mean, the, the podcast itself was 
um, was really a thing that Harry and I set up to point people towards our other products, which is, you know, we've got the Motormouth app, we've got the website and we've got events. And and the um, the podcast was literally a tool. We This is, and it's weird how quickly podcasting has moved because it's already a year on from when, well, what, two years when, when we first started perhaps, Harry, but it's way bigger now than it was when we started. And podcasting then was, was not really a major thing. People didn't think of it as a, a, a thing you could monetize at that point um, in the UK anyway. And we just did it to point people towards our other products, but it's grown and it's grown and it's grown. And it's turned into this thing that we now do weekly um, with over 100,000 listeners and partners like F1 Experiences and Grid Rival, and it's become its own beast, but sort of totally organically. And it's weird when you look back at episode one um, or two when we had Kelvin Fletcher on in 2019. Did you see he won at the weekend as he well, did. didn't he? Bless him. He did, yeah. he did. He did. Uh, he, um, him he and Paddock, Paddock Motorsport. That, that man is annoyingly talented, don't you yeah. think? He's good at everything. He can dance. I, I like him. He's Big such muscles. a nice man, but you just really want that, to That makes no, it no worse, the yeah. fact he's such a nice guy as well. I know. Yeah. Yeah. No one should have work. that degree of talent in everything. It's like, I'll, I'll have a go at acting, yeah, brilliant at that. Yeah. I'll have a go at dancing, yeah, brilliant at that. I'll have a go at British, yeah, win that. Yeah. No yeah, one should okay. have that much talent. He, there, there's a video of him on YouTube trying um, sort of motocross riding for the first time, and he goes down a hill like seriously steep, but like it's nothing. Just like yeah, I could do it. Yeah. first time I've been on a bike. Bastard. There's us with our bad bods. Hate him. Awful man. Terrible man. Yeah, I can't stand the guy. <laughs> but what, one thing I'm curious about, Paul, is you, you've, you're spinning a lot of plates. Like you've got the TV shows, um, you've got your business, you've got the cars, you've got a family. How do you manage your time? Because I, it's you know, as you say, for us, you know, Harry's doing lots of different things with commentary and voiceover work and motor mouth and various things. I've got this and consultancy and you know the app, the the karting. But and I struggle. I know it's difficult to juggle these plates, particularly with kids and a wife, very understanding wives in many cases. How do you manage your time to keep on top of it and your head doesn't explode? I'm very lucky because my wife actually works in the business with me. She is the organised one. So she's the one that manages the diary, puts everything in order, make sure, like, you know, make sure you're ready for your 10 o'clock podcast today yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So having Emma, my missus in the business, makes a huge difference in actually making sure I turn up for stuff and, and I'm ready and I know what's happening. But it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? Again, I think you have this huge capacity as a person. If you're enjoying what you're doing, I think your ability to just pile the work on and do more and more and more just, it, I think if you're liking the stuff that you do, and I'm very lucky that I get to work with brands that I love, I get to do work that I really enjoy. And I never feel like I'm working. It's not like mining coal or you know, doing something that's physically difficult. Yeah, sometimes you have a tough day or a long day, but because you're having so much fun in what you're doing, mm. it's, it's never that difficult. And you can do 16, 17, 18 hours if you have to, because you actually love the work. Yeah, I think... That's what some people you know, fail to yeah. understand, actually, because you may are oh, sorry I'm working or sorry I'm. Uh, it's like past five o'clock and you're still doing bits of work or whatever. And then was like, why are you still working? Why are you working in the evening? It was like, well, I didn't get it done earlier, but like it doesn't feel like work really. It's yeah. you know, or if you've got to travel away or whatever, it just doesn't feel like that. So I think it takes a certain type of person as well to sort of go into this kind of world and, and understand it. But especially when it when it comes to the TV side of stuff, Paul, and you said you sort of didn't envisage that you, you fell into it and I suppose a lot of people will know you, you most from, from Salvage Hunters classic cars how did that come about then if you're doing all this other stuff I imagine it sort of just came as a part and parcel of working in that business but you know when did that first conversation about oh do you want to come do some TV well TV started so I did a show at the beginning um, sort of magazine shows for motors and Eurosports. so my friend Paul Mazzal in the TV production company he was doing free to air stuff so if anybody doesn't know how that works 
basically a lot of broadcasters will take shows. If you make an interesting show, package it all up for them, film it, produce it, give it to them as an edited format. A lot of broadcasters like Moses and Eurosport will actually show that. They'll take it for free. And obviously if you can then put commercial content into that show, you then as a producer get paid and that's how it works. We were doing shows for Santapod around their biggest shows, things like Ultimate Streetcar, Bug Jam, producing these little package shows for Moses and Eurosport. And the idea was, so I just put the whole deal together. I was really there to be an advisor. I wasn't supposed to be on camera. We were just doing a few bits and Nick, the cameraman, was saying, look, when you... When you put this together, can you just do me a little description? I won't use it in the final edit, but can you just give me 60 seconds on what is drag racing? So when I do the edit, I know what it is. I can put a little package together. Then the voiceover guy can just voice over the top. I was like, no problem. Did a little thing. Drag racing is two people down the quarter of a mile, 440 yards. Who gets there first? Puts it together. Anyway, cut a very long story short. They edit the show. They leave those bits in because it's just an easy way to describe what's happening. And then, of course, the shows go out. The people at Motors and Eurosport go, oh, that's okay. That guy's all right. You know, next time you do one of those, just, just put that guy in it. Just he's all right. Just leave him in. And that's how it came about. So it was just meant to be a, a note to the editor. This is what you need to talk about. This is what you need to show. I, they ended up leaving them in. And then I became a TV presenter. Then we just cut a small showreel together. Um, and they just thought I'd put it on YouTube. Nothing will ever happen. So I literally put the showreel on YouTube on a Friday. London, telephone rings. I could have put my phone number on it. And it's someone from Discovery, from, from Betty, which is Discovery's um, production uh, company. And they said, look, we're doing a, a casting for a new show. We've rang a few magazines. We've just seen your show. Would you come down to London and, and cast for this show? Which, again, cut a very long story short, turned out to be Turbo Pickers, which was my first car TV show. And yeah, and got it, basically. I think all the good people were, were busy or too expensive. <laughs> Did that show, just did five episodes of that. And then I met Drew. So Drew was obviously doing Salvage Hunters. Drew's been doing that since the war, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the first he one. Remembers, yeah, first one. Yeah. He remembers both of them very well. And we just met on a photo shoot, got on immediately. And funny enough, so I'd been racing for a long time and he wanted to start racing. And he's like, how do I get my race license? I was like, well, I know some people at the MSA. Let me introduce you. I'm sure they'll do you like a, a buddy deal because, you know, they like to get famous people racing. And they very much looked after him. Drew got his race license. We became firm friends. And we always said, wouldn't it be fun to do a car show together? And obviously, he was a, a big star on the Discovery Channel. I'd finished Turbo because they wanted to give me something else to do. And again, we just did a screen test one day together. It, me and him just doing exactly what we do, driving around looking at old town. They sent it in to Discovery. And Discovery said, yeah, just, just make that. That's what we want to see. Funny, isn't it? Make That's- it sound so easy. But it's, it's clearly not. I mean, it's not something anyone can turn their hand to. But do, do, do you do it like... Is it, the show looks very unscripted, whether that's by design or what. It's but, incredibly unscripted. But, I mean, is, is, do you, that's something not everyone can achieve. It, do you find that easy? Is it? Does it just roll off your tongue? Well, we're very lucky because we have a brilliant production crew. And, I mean, we are obviously, I think we're edited to look much cleverer and funnier than we actually are because all they do, I mean, those poor, poor people, so they just literally roll on us all day. So the camera is rolling almost from the moment we get into the car to the end of the day. So some poor soul, and there's three or four cameras, has to sit and log 24 hours of footage, basically. And they'll just get from that the three funny minutes, which is obviously quite hard to find. It's literally like sifting in a haystack for a tiny (laughs) needle the bits where we were erudite or clever or funny and they just kind of edit those together and make us look brilliant so yeah because that's the downside to an unscripted show obviously nobody knows what we're going to say including us but i think the, the upside to that is you get these amazing reactions so when you see a car for the first time and you see us seeing a car for the first time that's all real we have genuinely not seen that car to the point where our producer john 
would almost physically hold us back because because we arrive on set, the guys aren't quite ready to film. I want to see the car. I want to I want to look in the garage and see what we're filming that day. And he will hold us back. He's like, I don't want you to see it until I'm filming you seeing it, and then your reaction, which I only get once. Yeah, because we're terrible actors, not like you guys. No, we we can't give you the fake. Oh my god, that's amazing because we don't have the talent to do it. So we have to let it roll for real, and then you see what we see, and then you see our reaction for real. Yeah, no, it's it's great. It's it's a it's a brilliant show, and and Salvage Hunters as as a concept is, which obviously runs beyond just classic cars, is is a brilliant program. Now, on on the subject of classic cars, if um, I wanted to, or Harry did, if he could find one to fit into, because he's so tall. If we wanted to go out, how tall out, are you, Harry? Because I think we're all quite tall, aren't we? I'm six foot five. Oh, you're taller than me, crikey. How tall are you? I'm six four. Mm. Oh, oh, not that by that much. If you can fit in, then surely I should be able to. I'm, the a short I'm all I'm all leg. I'm all I'm the same. I'm, I've yeah. got a tiny short body. Because if you see me and Drew sitting in the car, bear in mind, I don't know how tall Drew is, four foot something. <laughs> but if you see Drew and I sit together, he sits taller than I do. Yeah, that's the thing. So people don't think you're tall when you sat down, but then you Man. get up and they're like, oh, all right. Yeah. But I find it difficult sometimes to get into cars, just and it, especially if it's a manual, because I've got size 16 feet. So changing what? gear, yeah. So changing gear can be a bit, actually can be a bit of a nightmare, like especially if there's not a lot of room in the footwell. So that's my... Oh, idea. that's insane, because I've got size 11s and I do struggle with some cars. I mean, I, I have to drive some cars barefoot and some of the cars we've yeah. driven on the show, like the latest Esprit which I couldn't believe I could fit in. Wow. There's a lesson there, because once I've always wanted the Lotus Esprit, the S1, the original Zijaro car, you know, the James Bond car, shall we yeah. say, the James Bond Lotus. And I've always thought, and when they were cheap, I thought, I'd like to buy one of those. And I went to the Lotus Owners Club stand at the NEC when the classic car show was, and I said, would you mind, awfully, with my clean trousers on, if I sat in your car just to see if I would fit? The guy in the stand went, no, you won't fit, there's no point even trying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and then fast forward to last year when we did one on the show, and it's a bit of a squeeze, but I do fit in. So uh, if well. you are tall, and just just try. And the other thing is actually a good tip for you, Harry. You might want to try left-hand drive versions of lots of cars you don't think you can fit in. Oh, oh, interesting. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsports. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula One. And Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 Experiences package by using the code M. M11F1E when booking online at f1experiences.com. We went to we went to Goodwood um, Festival of Speed a couple of years ago, and we we did a little video piece on on Harry and his his abnormal height. And the only Harry thing is amazing length. It's a, a huge, huge it length. Was great. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't watch <laughs> that one, kids. Um, yeah. It, it was the only thing that we could find that he really fit in was the roof rack on top of a mini that we squeezed, that we folded you into. Yeah, that was great. Everything that was else was too small, like the BAC you lie down in that. Actually, you got you did get into Nigel Mansell's Formula One car. That what, was, I, I mean, I got in, but I would not be able to drive that thing. They no. let me sit in it. I was bizarre. I don't know how he got into it. Um, it wasn't that. It was like his test, the test car or something like that. But either way, it's still an F, classic F1 car, wasn't it? Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, ooh, 70s? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, there, and, there, um, 
but you it, you couldn't. I don't think you get the wheel in, or you could, or you just about could, but your knees came up halfway through it. So it must be the size yeah. 16s that's the problem because it's the yeah. pedal box, isn't it? It's, yeah. the, it's the amount of yeah. room you've got. Yeah, that's that really is the problem. issue. That is the issue. <laughs> but left hand drive. Yeah. Have a look at cars because I've always wanted a Ferrari Testarossa, and I just do not fit in a right hand drive Ferrari Testarossa because the mid engine obviously puts the bulkheads quite far forward. Oh, okay, right, if right. If you fit in a left hand drive one because the pedals seem to be in a better position because I guess that's how the car was designed. Got a bit more room. Fuck, for whatever reason, there's a tiny bit more foot room yeah. in a left hand drive. And I find this with a lot of cars, the left hand drive version seems to have a tiny bit more pedal box room. That's interesting. So, so Harry, if you ever want to get into the. Uh, so when I want my car, Ferrari, yeah. I'll go left hand drive. Go left hand yeah. drive. What, what should and it's cooler as well. Just left-hand drive oh. is cooler. What should people look out for, Paul? When if 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 they want to go and get into this world, like you have done, what 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 are the tricks to look out for? Are there any big red flags apart from obviously no wheels and no engine? But what, what is it? Just the, something you fall in love with? You know that's it because everybody asks me all the time. Actually, what what should I buy? What's the next big thing? What car should I buy to put my money into to, to get the best investment or to get the best return? I always say to anybody, never buy a car to make money or never buy a car thinking you might get an investment potential out of it. Always buy the car that you either always want, always wanted as a kid, that had the poster of it on your wall. Buy the car that kind of makes your heart feel good, that every time you get into it, you feel excited and special and want to look forward to driving it. Buy that car. And if you make some money. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. That's lovely. That's a nice bonus ball, but don't make that the reason that you're buying the car. Yeah. In terms of finding the right car, obviously you just, just read and read and read, do as much research as you can, watch every YouTube video, read every book. Now, I'm, I'm still doing that now. I'm so sad. I'll finish working with cars all day. I'll finish writing my articles, editing my videos. Then I'll just sit and read a car book or watch a car video. You never stop learning. Also, the owners clubs are brilliant as well. If you go to a, an owners club, so for instance, if you wanted a Capri to join the Capri owners club or to find someone in the club, and pay, especially if you're going to buy a car for two, three, four thousand pounds, it's worth paying somebody two or three hundred pounds to go and look at the car with you, someone that knows what they're doing, because you'll always get that money back. They'll either help you negotiate it off the price of the car, or they'll find the fault that you would have never have seen, and that will help you to discount it. So there's always there's always someone that knows more than you do. We find that you know we are paid to know a little bit, a little bit about a lot of cars. We need to be kind of general knowledge in everything. Yeah. But when we go and visit these Mark specialists, like you'll go and visit a Jaguar specialist or Lotus specialist, you learn 50 things in that day that you didn't know at 9 o'clock that morning. But those people just have incredible knowledge on one thing. And that's the person you want to take with you. Yeah. Wow. So from everything you've learned yourself and from, other, and from others, what would be your ultimate three-car garage? 
And again, it would change. And this is the thing, because people say, what three cars would you have? I couldn't do it. I don't think I could live with just three cars. I'll have a go. Have a go. I think I think you'd have to have a. That's, a that, that's the most. That's the most middle class uh, thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> I, I don't think I could live with just three I couldn't cars. Do it. Bloody hell! I couldn't do it. Next, you'll be telling me to demolish the servants' quarters. <laughs> couldn't do that either. No, I just like to say I live in a 1950s bungalow. I'm keeping it real. <laughs> keeping it real. Lost cars, 1950s bungalow. Yeah. But uh, what would I have? I'd probably have an air cooled 911. I just don't think I could live without one of those. Yeah. I think they're, and also they're kind of the every car, aren't they? An air cooled 911. Does everything fits everywhere? Yeah, so you know, I think a nice early one like a G series, nothing too crazy, like an SC or something like that would be. And if you could drive it everywhere, you could park it everywhere, and it would work and look brilliant. I think air cooled nine eleven. I have never been without a Volkswagen Beetle since the age of sixteen. <laughs> I'd have to have a Volkswagen Beetle. So two air cooled cars. And then I think you'd probably need something like a pickup for all the kind of sensible boys. I don't think like a that makes sense. I think like an eighties eighties Land Cruiser. I think. Yeah. Ooh. Something like that would look really cool. Just something really tough off-road that you could yeah. tow stuff with, pull stuff with, and then you could use in the winter. So I think that would be my ideal three-car garage. That's cool. I I, uh, I like the Land Cruisers. There's tons of those in the Middle East. All, Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Land Cruisers everywhere. Um, 80s off-roaders, I think, are the next big thing. So I've got a few old Isuzu Troopers, and I think they're pretty cool. They're original boxy ones that look like a poor man's G-Wagon. Yeah. And I just I think they're they're the coolest thing ever. They are they are super cool. Well, what about what about modern cars? I mean, it, you know that we've got supercars out there that which are just insane, and you see them reviewed on YouTube, like you know JWW and Schmee and all those guys. These like insane um, Koenigseggs and McLarens. What do you think of them? And also, what do you think about electric vehicles and the future of the cars that you love? Supercars are interesting because I think you can't help but admire the engineering of all of this wonderful new stuff. Like, I drove a McLaren 720S down at Litchfield the other day, and it was 720 horsepower when he started with it, and it was 840 horsepower when he'd wow. finished with it. So it's by far the quickest car I have ever driven, by a long, long way. I mean, Ian produces the most amazing cars down there. He does 1,200 horsepower GTRs, but the immediacy of the, of the acceleration of the McLaren is just, it's mind-blowing. And I loved it, and I would, I would like one, but then I think, actually... Would I like a modern supercar or would I like, say, a, a Testeros or a 512ER, so a, so a classic supercar, which aren't, aren't actually that fast if you compare them to kind of modern hatchbacks. Yeah. Not that, you know, a Yaris GR would decimate most 80s or 90s supercars on most roads that you care to mention. So, I don't know, I just, they're a wonderful thing. I'm very glad they exist, uh, supercars, modern supercars, but I just don't really see that many that I feel I'd like to own. I like to see them down the street. I'm glad that somebody's bought one. I'm glad that they sound as good as they do and they go as fast as they do. And I think it's great for the industry that we have them there as the pinnacle of what's possible with a car. Particularly at the moment, you know, and it's, it's interesting that you asked that question about the two because perhaps electric vehicles are the future. Maybe it's hydrogen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's synthetic petrol. But I think while we can enjoy petrol cars, while we can enjoy silly cars that burn dead dinosaurs that make stupid noises and go unrealistically fast, we should. Yeah. Because... Who knows what the legislation will do in the future? Maybe we can't drive those cars, or maybe we can't drive them very fast, or maybe we can't drive them very far. But I think while we have this amazing moment, like this this sunset moment for the petrol car, we should enjoy it. So I bought a Mustang two and a half years ago, a manual V8 Mustang with Recaro seats, because I just think, A, I've never bought a brand new car before because they normally lose money. And I just thought, you know, I, I want one of those. I want the last of the dinosaurs. I want... When we all have electric vehicles, people go, God, do you remember when you could walk into showroom and buy a manual Mustang? Mm. Recaro seats that, with a V8 engine. And people go, God, could you really? 
Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. I think those kind of cars, just they're almost to me the zenith of, of what we had. And I think it's kind of downhill from here on in. And EVs, I accept the fact they need to exist. I understand why they need to exist. They just don't excite me. Even the really fast ones, they're just, you know, they're beautifully made. And the, I think Porsche is great. I think the new Lotus that's just come out, that's a wonderful looking thing. But I just, I will keep driving an internal combustion car for as long as I'm allowed to. I think. Yeah, until someone drags you out of it. What yeah. would, um, what, then, I suppose, for, for young people who might want to get into the same kind of industry as you and do what you're doing, what, what would you tell them now? Well, I think I'm proof that a little talent is no barrier to <laughs> making it work. So, yeah, if you, if you don't know what you want to do yet in the automotive industry, if you just enjoy cars and you think, I'd like to make my living that way, have a go. I mean, the three of us have proved that, haven't we? Obviously, you guys are talented, but I think it's just passion and enthusiasm. I think that's the main thing, because you can learn anything yeah. in this job. If you can learn any technique, any skill, you can learn any basis of information you need, but the two things you can't teach are passion and enthusiasm. If you have those, you will and can learn everything else. Yeah. But I just think that's, that's the main thing. If you have a true passion for automotive, there will always be people that want to employ you or work with you or give you an internship or <clears throat> give you some kind of work experience. And just find something that you enjoy. So if your passion is Formula One or your passion is touring car or your passion is classic car restoration, learn that, learn it backwards because what people love is knowledge and passion and enthusiasm so if you find any firm who will give you a chance well, I used to work for Saab and my thing was I just knew everything about Saab backwards so if you came into my showroom and bought a car from me and had any question about that car competitor car history of Saab back to the airplane days you know I felt I had to know that I felt I wanted to know all the information that you needed as a customer and I think that's it just just learn your subject and learn your craft and and keep learning and never think you know it all you never do. I think it's really good advice, yeah. and and uh, I think uh, I think the, the key word there is passion, isn't it? Because I think if you if you find something you're truly passionate about, whether it's you know in Harry's world the the, the commentary in your world cars in my world, I have no idea. But but you know if, if you can if you can find something that you can hone in on, especially at a young age, you know if you look at Harry, he's just done his first Formula One commentary at 20, 25. Isn't that amazing? Twenty five. 25, you know, because... 21 is in showbiz years. 21 is in showbiz years, yeah. Oh, yeah, always knock at least five off and back, obviously. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) But, you know, it's it's having that that innate um, desire to reach the pinnacle of whatever it is that you're specialising in. And for Harry, it's, it's, you know, Formula One commentary. And, And having that clear, that clarity of vision is such a big driver. And I think, you know, for me, it's always been business. I love business. Anything that involves business or commercial... Um, I, I love it. And that's all I read about. You know, you read about cars, I read about startups, you know, that sort of thing. But if you don't have that vision and passion for what you want, it's very hard to get there, isn't it? I agree. I think it's all about, as I say, just doing what you love. And it's, I think it's Mark Twain said, wasn't it? You know, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your yeah. life. And I think we're all lucky enough to be pretty much in that situation. You know, we have, we have tough days, all of us, but that's what gets you through, isn't it? The fact that ultimately it's exciting and, you know, we do and get paid for what some people would do for free. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 100%. I will also say I never I never had plans of becoming a commentator. So that, <laughs> that was always a bit of an accident. Formula One, definitely the goal. Commentary, that was new. But I, I echo everything you said out there, actually. It's, it's very... Um, very apt uh, you briefly mentioned there before we come on to our 
run out of time nearly. No, uh, where we, does it go? I know. Uh, before we come on to our um, sort of final three, uh, you, you briefly mentioned there, obviously, you, you, are, you follow Formula One at the moment. You're also into your British touring cars as well. So you've got, you've got a bit of motorsport blood running through you. What do you make of uh, F1 at the moment? And uh, well, be, and there's a new era for touring cars, isn't it? Entering the hybrid era. So uh, it's exciting stuff. It is. I'm, I'm interested to see how so I'm really chuffed. I want Lewis to do his his greatest of all time. I want him to get that final title. I want him to mm. do it. I think it's great having George on the team this year as well. Because I think it'd be good to put someone I think is of almost equal talent. I mean, no one is equal to Lewis. I, think. I mean, he's made of different stuff, isn't he? But I think having a young charger snapping at the heels is no bad thing. I think yeah. that will actually just push him the final season. I think Leclerc is really exciting to watch as well. I think he's going to do wonderful things. And I just think the season is getting exciting again. I think the way that the final season ended was a bit of a Travesty, if I'm honest. Very controversial subject. Mm. But I don't know. I, nice. I think Formula One needs to I mean, needs to make a few changes. I mean, I remember mm. the days, obviously, when the cars had less downforce and, and smaller tyres and there's a lot more movement in the cars. And I do think that was... So for me, the golden era of F1 was kind of 80s, 90s. There was, there was more overtaking. The cars moved more and there seemed to be much more driver involvement. I'm sure the cars are as equally hard to drive there and demand as much talent, but I don't know I'm not quite emotionally invested as I used to be. Mm-hmm. Where conversely, touring car, I just cannot get enough of British touring car. Yeah, that's cool. That's because cool. I just think, to me, that is what racing is. You know, lots of car movement, lots of scrapes, lots of door banging. I know you can't obviously touch wheels in single seaters. It's not quite the same, but it's just entertainment. And I think Alan Gow understands. Alan Gow is the ultimate showman. Isn't he? he just sits down each season, and, you know, and he's he's not cheating, but he's kind of looking at what everyone's got and the little bits of boost adjustments here and there and going, you know, let's just make this what it is. Yeah. It's a spectacle. It's a piece of entertainment. Mm. For you to sit down on a Sunday, and, you know, you sit down there, don't you, with ITV4, and you're entertained for the entire day. Yeah, it's cracking. It's great. And if you, as you are planning to, come to our karting event on the 4th of August, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, then you will race against the British touring car drivers. We had, uh, we, had a, we had a couple at the last one. Daniel Rowbottom was one. We've had yeah. Bobby Thompson before. So um, 4th of August, Paul's going to be there all being well. Um, and um, we've got our, our charity karting event at Wilton Mill. The website is uh, com. Go and check it out, people. And you can come and race with... Paul Cowland and uh, a bunch of other interesting people from the automotive world. Um, Paul, I won't do my dirty trick. My favourite dirty trick when casting, I had to use it against Rob Alamey. Actually, we were racing at Team Sport in Nottingham, and Rob, who's got a fantastic prep place at Donington, does some really nice car builds and TCR cars, things like that. And he he was doing a lot of Jason Plato passes, a lot of push to passes. <laughs> but on the fourth one, and I caught him up. But this is unfair. I don't even know, on those single-seat carts, there's a little kill switch on top of the engine, like a little red flick switch. Ah. And I'd seen Travis Pastrana do this on the start line. Travis Pastrana, on a charity car team, uh, it's on YouTube, it's worth a watch. He just leans across and just flicks the kill switch off on the engine. Oh, my God. The team sport, nothing, if anyone's ever been there, there's a ramp, so you have to do a hairpin left. <laughs> and so you're at the slowest speed the carts will go. And I managed to get alongside Rob, just leaned across and flicked his kill switch off. No! <laughs> and he got stuck on the bridge. And I've got black flags and sin bin. It's really dangerous. Really dangerous to um, make a person stop on the bridge. But it was so worth it. And he still talks about it now. So it's quite funny. Oh, don't try that at home, kids. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, don't, don't switch off people's cars as a go-kart track because uh, you will get sin binned. <laughs> but I thought it was quite skillful uh, to lean across yeah, like and actually 
Yeah, it's thinking outside the do. box. Yeah. That's, you know, I think you should be encouraged for that, really. Um, or maybe not. But, but can't, we do, um, can't we have like a, you know, like kind of like a Mario Kart, like everything goes. We had an amazing yeah. go-kart session once. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's skin. ever been to Bruntingthorpe. So I back yeah. did an open day at Bruntingthorpe. And I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be a car track at Bruntingthorpe that has no barriers whatsoever. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a great karting track, but there's no outside barrier. There's no inside barrier because the whole thing is just grass. And if you spin off, you've just got 500 metres of grass, basically. Grass, yeah. So they think that's safer. Well, they thought it was safer until you realise that you can just cut across the corner. If you want to overtake someone, you can go full Donkey Kong right across the grass. Mm. And that just descended into carnage. But that was the most fun go-karting. I mean, it actually ended up with somebody being airlifted in an airlift. Oh, Christ. So well, It probably uh, wasn't a great advert for that level of... I don't think we should listen to too many of Paul's tips for, <laughs> for go-karting. Or maybe that's we should... I'm not a very safe go-karter. Maybe though. we should weaponise our charity go-kart event and, you know, just add some some entertainment by putting, like, spikes on the wheels and... I don't know. Well, well, everyone should get super soakers, don't you think? Everyone yeah, should be allowed super yeah. yeah with, filled with oil. Yeah, or, yeah. or just water, then, because you can you can kind of squirt that on people's brakes or under the tires. Visors, really straight onto the whole new element to it. Yeah, I like it. I like. I think you can wet certain parts of the track as well before they yeah, get there. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. that would be an idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, we kind yeah. of had that last time out, to be honest. Ten minutes of snow and then ten yeah. minutes of rain and then bright blue skies and sunshine. It very much was a bit of a. Uh, free for all on that one. Um, well, if you want to come race, Paul, uh, try it on the fourth of August. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, <laughs> I promise I'll let, send your cart off. I promise I won't. Do don't that. let him get side on with you. Um, <laughs> shall we do our final three questions? Yes, yes, let's do it. So our final three questions are brought to us by our partners at F1 Experiences and Grid Rival. Uh, shall I kick off, Harry? Go for it. What, Paul, has you excited at this very moment? Uh, do you know what? Just the year ahead, I think I love this time of year because obviously the season starts, doesn't it? I'm looking forward to the touring car season very much. I'm looking forward to trying getting back into a car. So I do a little bit of club racing. I have done it for a few years. Oh, and we yes. do um, uh, enduro cars. So I don't know if anyone's seen that. So the little Ford Ka racing series called Enduro Car. Uh, I did some stuff with Powerflex last year. David Power, who owns Powerflex, very kindly gave me a few guest drives. And I do think that is one of the most fun racing series because you get 50 car grids because it's a rolling grid. What? Wow. The circuits are allowed to run at their maximum amount. So I comment on rolling that. grids. They're allowed to go over their grid capacity. You get a fifty-car grid, and you're going, you know, going into paddock in in a gaggle of fifty cars is just insane. And also talking of touring car driving, you know, Tim Harvey was in that last year. Rob Grabber was in that last year. You get to race against your heroes in a six or seven thousand pound car, and you can be very brave in a six or seven thousand pound car because you think if this goes fully tilt, then the check I have to write to my friend is is not enormous the grand scheme of motorsport spending. Well, do, and do, also, I've always loved production championships. I've always loved the fact that, you know, if you beat someone into a corner or you outdrive them or outlap them, it's because it's it's technique and skill. It's not yeah. checkbook. It's, that's why I love series like that. They're fantastic. The uh, Talking of running out of check, we we uh, we talked off-air about uh, your incident in a, in a Golf GTI when you were racing. <laughs> that absolutely spectacular crash, which people should have a look at on YouTube. That must have been fairly terrifying. You know what? It was weird. It wasn't. I was very lucky, actually. But two bizarre things. So I had a crash crikey about 12, 13 years ago in a Golf GTI. It was a very nice little car until I rolled it into a ball. The, the accident started at Paddock and ended up at Drury's. That's how big the accident was. It was a long accident. And it was chasing a friend. It was, it was last race of the day, uh, last lap of the race. And there's, I'm chasing my friend Elliot Dunmore, who also is the guy that put the amazing V8 Powerflex Mini together. There's a Vinny doing the rounds at the moment. Vinny the Mini. He's basically stuffed a BMW V8 into a rear-wheel drive platform on a, on a Mini. 
which is, he's an incredible engineer, but also a brilliant driver. And I'm chasing him. I'm second, he's first. I've been getting half a second a lap out of him each lap. I'm doing it at Paddock into Druids. I'm, I'm carrying more speed through Paddock and then out breaking him into Druids. And this is for the last lap, and this is for first place in our class. But basically, it's June or July. The tyres are just shot to bits, and I've gone wide at Paddock. You'll see the car goes incredibly sideways. Just kept my foot in, popped it out of Paddock like a cork. I've then hit the grass. You've got that tyre wall as you go into Druids, which has a big rubber sheet on. And the way the car was set up with these red-hot tyres, you've got loads of negative camber, the tyre sticking out at the bottom. And it's just picked up on the rubber sheet on that wall, and it's fired the car into the air like the start of the A-team titles, if anyone's old enough to remember that. And it's just rolled and rolled and rolled. But what, what was really weird is two things. One, before I had the accident, my friend uh, Mark, who owns Cobra Seeds, he's a lovely guy, and he'd just come and see me in the paddock and told me off for how badly my belt had fitted my seat. Oh, God. And he'd just given me a full seat fitting, basically. He made me sit in my car, adjusted all my belts. And it's really strange. If anyone either has a track car or race car, if you've never sat and had somebody properly fit your belts, it's so worth doing because you feel completely at one with the car. And unfortunately, you also feel immortal, which is the problem I thought. I can't crash, and if I do crash, I'll be fine. And I remember vividly going over, and if anyone's had a big accident, they'll know this, your adrenaline jacks you right up, and the whole world just goes into slow motion. So I remember that accident happened, and it felt like it took 30 seconds. Wow. And I remember watching the wheel come off, and then watching the screen come out. I remember everything, and you see it so vividly, because you're just, your world slows down. But I remember thinking, as I went over and over and over, I'll be fine, because I've just had my seat fitted. And amazingly... I didn't even get a bruise. I didn't get whiplash. Wow. They rushed me to the medical centre. And the medics at Brant Hatch are absolutely fantastic. And if anyone's ever crashed, they're a fantastic place to crash. Because, of course, <laughs> the ambulance is out in... Marshalls were amazing. Uh, if you're going to crash anywhere... Crash at Brant Hatch. It's fabulous. Wonderful medical oh. centre. <laughs> so, obviously, Marshalls were amazing. The, you know, the ambulance was on scene in 20 seconds. You're in the medical centre in 60 seconds. And this amazing medic was just like, look, nothing wrong with you. Absolutely fine. You're going to get whiplash because this was pre-hands. This was a long time ago, pre-hands advice. He just says really weird things. He says, you know, brush your car back onto the trailer. He says, and when you tow it back, just keep rolling your head around. So if you can imagine sort of rolling your head, he says, what will give you the whiplash is if you leave your muscles in one position. He says, if you keep moving your head, you won't get whiplash. But drove home, rolling my head around. Watched TV that night, rolling my head around. Woke up the next morning, didn't even have whiplash. So it was an amazing recovery. But again, it's one of those things. Drive a cheap race car, have an expensive seat, have an expensive harness. Yeah, spend the money on the safety equipment. Yeah, yeah safety. thank God. Thank God you had that seat fitting as well. That could be God knows if you hadn't. But I mean, what a spectacular crash that was. Well, the, uh, the next question seems, I don't know, it's about how much of your success is down to luck and right place, right time, I suppose. Nine, just... 19 point, <laughs> 99.7%, I'd say, is down to luck. <laughs> Because they're quite lucky in that crash, but yeah. But then the other half is, you know, you, you, I feel you've got to make your own luck at the same time. I mean, you've got to, you've got, you've got to be hardworking. Nothing gets handed to you on a plate. Yeah, I think again with everything in life, isn't it really? I think if you you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. They say, don't Mm. you? You'll work fairly hard at this. But I think a lot of it is also just be open to new ideas and just be receptive to new stuff. And and what I try to do is meet a lot of people. What I found is going through this industry, the more people you meet, and, you know, I am a people person. I love meeting new people and going for a meeting, going for dinner, whatever it is, just sitting down with somebody and finding out their perspective or what they do for a living or what their business is. And then you always think, well, that'd be great. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll think, uh, in, in, 10 years down the line, I'll, oh, yeah, that guy I met for lunch, yeah, he does this. And this other guy I've just met, he needs that guy. So then I'll yeah. put them together. And I try and be a bit of a Cilla Black, and particularly sort of in PR. I mean, bizarrely, that 
the next call I have is, is two great brands that you will have heard of who I think should be working together. I'm just going to seal the black one together and just say, look, you should be doing stuff with you. Uh, and there's not always something in it for me. I don't always make money out of every introduction I make, but what people remember is that I was the guy that put mm. them together. Mm. And maybe further down the line, there might be something that they want me to do for them because they remember I did them that favour. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not always about getting of... a result today or getting some kind of reward today. It's just about doing the right thing to people that might actually really help each other out. And then you know, there's always a reward somewhere down the line, yeah. even mm. if it's 10, mm. 20 years down the road. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are you scared of? Uh, what am I scared of? Still a black. I don't know, that's, that's a great question. That's like an interview question, isn't it? Uh, you know, like <laughs> I'm trying to get a job somewhere. Just, I think, well, I'm scared of it. I, only, I think anyone doing what we do, when you get old, I mean, I'm quite old now, I'm, I'm 50 next year, and you get a lot less scared and a lot less bothered about a lot of things. The only things that really worry me is sort of things like what my kids up to, which is generally at 14 and 12, quite worrying things now, really. Yeah, yeah. But I have a baseball bat, you know, these lads that come around, they've seen that. There we are. Um, more, more violence, more weaponization. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got a look, you know, and and I used to be worried about things like failing, though, what's going to happen in the industry and will my TV career continue? And I think the older you get, the less you worry. And I just think, you know, you keep plodding through doing whatever it is you do. And then what will be, will be. And I think I'm very much of that mindset now. Very good. Well, Paul, we've um, we've taken up enough of your time, but um, pleasure talking to you. Fascinating stories. Lovely man. Lovely TV shows. Keep the restoration going. I expect the next time we talk to you, you'll have a hundred cars. I mean, it's it's going to happen, isn't it? Surely the the century is is in sight. Um, and you come across that. I have hand. on that room. I'm very lucky because I, I work with Haggerty and Haggerty very kindly insured them. So I do have an open ended insurance policy with them. Oh. That's handy. That's nice. But yeah, that kind of almost makes it worse because you think, wow, it's insurance. We have, uh, talking of restorations, um, something that you'll probably be interested in, I'll have to show you one day, is we we bought uh, an old Sinclair horse box from, I don't know, 1960-something or other. Really old. They don't make them anymore and they're really hard to come by. Rice horse boxes you can get all over the place. Sinclairs are rare and they're big. And we converted that into a bar. Um, put, wow. a, put a hatch in it and take it around the around the country doing weddings and what a good um, idea. it's brilliant and it, it looks lovely sylvianesquires.com if anyone wants to have a look and is in need of a nice bar for their for their wedding thank you yeah shoehorn that one in there um, yeah. but um, you know I, I, I get the uh, the love for it it's uh, it's a rewarding process but um, Paul listen like I said we've kept you long enough thank you so much for joining us and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll see you at a racetrack or an automotive event soon Paul Cowland thanks for joining us on the Motormouth Podcast thank you very much guys and if you find a left hand drive let me know if you've been listening to this and thinking actually i really want to go and experience a race for myself in person why not do it in style at a formula one grand prix thanks to f1 experiences the official experience hospitality and travel program of formula one f1 experiences really is the closest you can get to the sport official ticket packages which include the best race tickets first class hotels travel and exclusive behind the scenes access across a grand prix weekend f1 experiences offer packages like no other so to to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com and if you enter code MM11F1E, you'll get 5% off too. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings 
things with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.